Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look at the story and that we're looking at here in Daniel and ask to see what it is you'd have us to see from that. We ask you to guide and lead and, and show us the, the, your power from all of this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Daniel chapter 5. And we're going to do a little bit of history study here because we're getting ready to go into the story of Belshazzar and the handwriting on the wall. And for millennia, they said that Belshazzar didn't exist, that Daniel made him up. Uh, in 1948, they found a clay cylinder that listed Belshazzar as the co-regent with his father, uh, Naban Naidas. <laughs> so, um, but we want to look at the history of the kings of Babylon before we get into this story because we want to cover this period. We start with Nebuchadnezzar who took over from his father and Nebuchadnezzar re reigned for 43 years. He was the longest of the reigning monarchs for, for Babylon. His son, Merodach, took over. He only reigned by himself for two years. He co-regent with Nebuchadnezzar for, for seven years. And he is called the evil one. <laughs> uh, his people didn't like him. Uh, he was Nebuchadnezzar's son. And Neriglizar, took over from Merodach by killing him. And he was Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law. And what? Huh? What was his name? Ne I think is how you pronounce it. N-E-R-I-G-L-I-S-S-A-R. So that guy's son-in-law killed him? Or Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law? Nebuchadnezzar's son-in-law. He was followed by his son, Labashi, who was a very young child who ruled for nine months before he was killed. Uh, he was killed by Nabonidas, who reigned for 17 years and is the father of Belshazzar. All right, so this gives you the history of the kings. And I bring this up for a number of reasons. When we get to it, he's called the father and the grandson and the son of, so we want to explain because the people who say that he's not his son are right, <laughs> okay? And they say that Nebuchadnezzar is not Belshazzar's father. They are right. But we're going to show you what they're talking about when we get to that section. Nabonidus, after he killed Labashi, basically left Babylon and ran, ran to a desert, desert uh, palace that he had out there. And he put his son in charge of Babylon, and he did general things and stayed out of Babylon. So that gives you just a little bit of history on what's going on. And I bring this up because if you come across somebody who's going to say, you know, this is all, you know, fabricated, number one, you know, they, the, the original statement that Belshazzar never existed has been blown away. But when they say, get in here, where they call Nebuchadnezzar his father and him the son, we'll explain those terms when we get, when we get down into this. Uh, but they'll look at that and say he's not his son. He's not. They're not father. So we're gonna. We're gonna when we get there, we'll talk more about that. So let's read some of this uh, story. Verse one: Belshazzar the king made a great feast to the, to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousands. And Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, his concubines might drink therein. 
Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives, his concubines drank in them. And they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and, and of brass, of gold, of wood, and of stone. So we've got this set, stage set. And we see Belshazzar having a great feast. Okay, we're going to learn later on that uh, the Medes and the Persians are right outside his city gate at this time. So he is having a feast while his city is being besieged. Okay, this makes no sense at all other than the fact that he felt that Babylon could not be conquered. And that was the general belief at that time, that Babylon was such a great city that nobody could conquer it. And so he is so confident that he has all the princes, all the great people, all the lords, all the people that, it, that should be out on, on the defensive walls in this great feast. And it says for a thousand. Now, we don't know if it was literally a thousand or just for thousands. But he had a huge feast going on. And in the middle of his drunken state, he decided he wanted to pull the vessels that belonged in the temple. Okay? And this is where we see the silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out. And this word is literally Abba, which we've already discussed is means father or daddy kind of thing. But it has a secondary meaning also to bring out. It can also mean founder, master, possessor, or just plain a title of respect. If you've ever seen any Persian movies, they will address the leaders quite often as father. Okay, even though they're not their father, it was a title of respect. I believe that this is what he's saying here. Your predecessor, your your the person who founded this 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 nation, took these. Okay. Um, again, the word is Abba. Most of the time, it is translated father or daddy, but it has these other secondary meanings behind it. And we need to keep that in mind. How long the head place of that nation before it was uh, fell? Babylon, Babylon, I did not go into Nebuchadnezzar's father who founded it. But at this point, the, the Jewish people have been there just shy of 70 years, which is what Jeremiah said that they would be in captivity for. All right, and Darius is going to release them. I don't, I, I, to answer your question completely, I don't remember how far beyond Nebuchadnezzar's father because Nebuchadnezzar is the one that really made them the mighty. His father started, started the empire, but Nebuchadnezzar is the one who really made it the empire. So I kind of ignored Nebuchadnezzar's father and didn't look at how far he reigned. Plus, I was just trying to total out the years to make sure that, it, you know, that the history said 70 years and we're at 68, which is close enough, you figure, when they say, you know, 43, it might have been 43 and a, and a half, and another guy with a half year, you know, it, easy enough to say two years are easy to fit into this, into this list. Um, so I believe that it's saying just your predecessor, the one that founded this, this kingdom, he took these things, okay? Because he is not in relationship to Nebuchadnezzar because his father basically committed a coup to take it away from Nebuchadnezzar's family. But you've got to understand also during this time that the rest of the courtiers who at least would bow their knee to him probably existed all the way back through Nebuchadnezzar and his families and 
have been rulers for forever as long as he didn't feel that they were you know, a threat to him. So he brings out the items that belong to God or calls for them. And you look at this, so that the king, his princes, or his sons basically, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Okay, notice here, this is very critical statement is that he's not bringing it out for everybody. There's not enough goblets for everybody in here. He's saying we're special enough and we, basically saying we're defying the God of the Jews. Okay, and this is not uncommon for these kind of things to happen to defy a God when you think your God is stronger than their God. And he is totally ignoring, and we set, I set this up because we're looking at a time that is approximately uh, 32 years since Nebuchadnezzar. He's got to know the history of Nebuchadnezzar. He's got to know the God that, that worshiped. Even though he wasn't alive probably at that time, he still has to know some of this history. Um, yeah, he's been raining for 14 years, assuming that it was started raining at about 15 or 16. He's about 30 years, so he's old enough to know Nebuchadnezzar fairly well. He's just missed him by a few years. So here we are with this going on, and he's challenging the God of the Hebrew people. And this also, I bring this out because this also explains why Daniel is kind of a forgotten character at this time. Okay, we had Merodach, who was called evil, who probably dismissed Daniel. Okay, you know, Daniel was his father's, his father's uh, advisor. He's going to be a godly man, not going to like what, he, what the one who's called evil does, and probably is dismissed. Probably lucky that God protected him so he didn't lose his life, because that would have been the, the normal. Uh, his son, is, his son is, doesn't, rule, uh, doesn't rule long, or excuse me, the son-in-law doesn't rule long. He's probably not interested in Daniel. So Daniel's kind of a forgotten character at this point. Uh, you know, people know him, obviously. He's probably still in charge of the, of the magicians and everything because he seemed to have held that position even under Darius. But he's kind of forgotten. He's been dismissed. He's no longer a prime person. Plus the fact that the poor guy is in his 80s. <laughs> okay? You got to remember, he was taken into Babylon as a young young child, young teen, so let's say somewhere around 12 years old, and now we're, you know, some 68, 70 years later, so he's already 82 years old probably at this point, so even if he was wanting to be somebody, he's probably going to be shunted aside at that age in this, in this environment. And so in verse 3, they brought the golden vessels that, that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines, drank in them. And they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, of iron, and of wood and stone. Instead of praising God, which they shouldn't have been doing anyway with these things, because only the Levites are supposed to touch these things, they're praising idols. And God is going to say, enough is enough. And this is, this is quite a... You know, this guy's bold. Belshazzar is really bold. He's so confident that his city's not going to be taken. He's already under attack by the Medes and Persians. Now he's going to defy the gods and say, 
you know, this is an arrogant person that we're dealing with. Verse 5, in that same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, his thoughts troubled him so that his joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. And the king cried out aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and the king spoke and said unto the wise men of Babylon, Whoever shall read the writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed in scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So we're going to stop there because we've got a number of things. At the very moment, uh, it kind of says it's not only supposed to be the same hour, but the same, at that very moment that they were praising their gods, a finger started writing on the wall or actually a hand. And I don't know, I mean, all the things you see in pictures always show a shadow, but I don't know that a shadow would cause the terror that is described in Nebuchadnezzar's appearance. It really makes it look like and sound like a hand actually showed up. Disembodied hand. Yeah, disembodied hand floating on the wall, writing on the wall. Okay, because you would think a shadow would be bad enough, but when we read how Nebuchadnezzar responds, I don't think it was a shadow. It really was something he saw that looked like a hand. And in it very specific, you look at how, he, how this is told. Daniel is an eyewitness to this writing because he says it was written on the wall between the candlesticks and he's very precise so that anybody looking at this and look, you know, at, their, at that day and age would have looked and said, oh, yeah, there's where, <laughs> there's where it was written. And so we see this, and it wrote, and it says, the king's countenance was changed. And, his, and literally what it says, literally in the Hebrew or the Aramaic, it says that he turned pale. His brightness, the, the, the brightness of his face was, you know, turned to paleness. The blood drained from his face. And his thoughts troubled him. He was afraid, alarmed, dismayed. <laughs> you know, I, this, the way it's written in the, in, this, uh, in the King James is so poetic. You know, they're trying to make it sound nicer than it is. And then it says, so that the joints of his loins were loosed. Now there's two thoughts on what this means. <laughs> The first one I'm not so sure I agree with. The first one is that he just was so afraid that his, that his lower back knotted up and caused pain. I, that is a possibility. But Aramaic brings out the idea of liquid. He was scared silly. You know, we would say that he had a bowel movement and, and lost everything. He is, he is terrified. I believe that that's what this is talking about, the second of the choices, just to be kind, you know, without getting into too descriptive. And it says that his knees knocked together. And this is why I don't believe that it's a shadow writing on the wall. I mean, that would be terrifying enough, but I believe he saw something that he, that totally terrified him. And I don't believe a shadow would be that terrifying. It would scare you a little bit, you know, to see a shadow, but I don't think that would be the terrifying description that how he is responding. Now, we also could be saying that he doesn't appear to be a man of war. His father is the one going out to war. So Belshazzar is pretty easy. So he could be easily terrified, maybe. But uh, 
you know, we'll leave that to what it is. You know, this description of his uh, response is pretty severe. He's turned pale, his knees are knocking, and he's either got a very sore back because of his fear or worse. <laughs> Um, and he calls to bring out the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And you'll note the one that's missing out of this that has always been called out were the magicians or, and the wise men, which are the part that Daniel would have been in charge of. And so he's, he's not even been called. His group has not been called. So they have apparently fallen out of favor with the kings since Nebuchadnezzar's day, somewhere along the lines. Uh, the magicians and, and wise men were not called out. And remember, that's who was called out in chapter 1, chapter 2, and <laughs> chapter 3. Uh, they were always called out to, to uh, talk about these things. And his promise was that whoever could read it would be clothed in scarlet, which Aramaic actually says purple, which is the kingly colors. They should have a chain of gold put around their head, which is a symbol of office. And they would be made third ruler. Why third ruler? Because that's all he can give away. He's only co-regent. He can't give away half the kingdom like his normal, the normal statement. You can have up to half my kingdom. He can't give away half the kingdom because he is, he is only the second ruler and he can only give away one third of the kingdom. Uh, and, or, or he would lose his position. Uh, so this shows us again that, Bel that Belshazzar was co-regent. And this is why when people denied that Belshazzar existed, it was quite in interesting because they didn't look at the co-regency issues. And this has been an issue quite often when people have looked at the, the dates of kings and how long they ruled. And we've talked a little bit about this. In Chronicles and, and Kings, if you try to add up dates and stuff, you have, to, you have to be very careful because there's a lot of co-regencies in there. And you have to know whether they're talking about the time they started as co-regent or the time that they started out as king. And sometimes you'll, you have to really do some research to find out which they're talking about. Because people used to add up the times and say, see here, this, you know, there, there's not enough time. We're running out of time. And, he, and it says this. You know, and when you start tying in co-regencies, and this was very common in those days. When a king went off to war, to, to, to prevent any disruption of his royal line, he would determine which of his sons was going to rule and announce them as co-regent. This way that they got killed in battle, there wasn't a battle between all the lords taking sides on who was going to side with which son and end up with a civil war going on. So oftentimes they would just say, this son is, is ruling. David did this with Solomon. He made him ruler of, the, of the Israel as a co-regent for a short period of time until he passed away. David was alive and, and Solomon was made king because there was this battle going on that, that David's sons were getting ready to, to take over because David was dying. And Bathsheba said, you said my son's going to rule. So David said, you're right. And he made him <laughs> ruler and, and cut off the battle, you know, the civil war that was going to happen. And we see this over and over in the scriptures and in history, and when you look at it. And I just bring that out because this is an issue, again, when you start having somebody say, well, you know, look at this, this doesn't add up. Well, it does when you take and, and look at it very closely. And this is why it's important sometimes, and most people don't like reading them, but the genealogies quite often will tell us a lot of interesting things as who was ruling, who, who, who was born when, and... and uh, 
we look at the time of the children of Israel that were in captive in Egypt was only four generations. Okay, so it, and when somebody comes and teaches that, they, that Israel was captive for over 400 years, that's not a true statement because you, you know, you've only got four generations there. And one of those generations is Levi who was already a fairly old man when they went to Egypt. So these guys, if, if there's only going to be those generations, these guys had to live be 160 years old and have their child for the next one to be living 160 years old and have their child. And it just doesn't make sense. So genealogies are very important for us to get and glean information. But they have to be for us crazy people who like history and those kind of things to, to fit into. Uh, I love the genealogies because they're so they reveal so much. Okay, verse 9, And then came in the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Now, when I read this statement, and it happens so often in the Babylonian thing, we've seen it every time here until Daniel shows up, it's amazing to me that they cannot dream up some kind of answer. God is keeping them from, or they are extremely honest people, which I don't believe. <laughs> Most of these wise men have always, and this is because we saw, we saw Nebuchadnezzar say, I'm not telling you my dream because you'll come up with some answer. You've got to tell me what the dream is. Pharaoh kind of understood the same thing. You know, you guys will tell me what, you know. It is, God did some kind of miracle in these guys' lives to keep them from opening their mouths to dream up some kind of answers. It's just an amazing thought to me that these guys couldn't come up with something. And... Uh, but then it says, they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation of Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were perplexed and confused. Okay, this guy has already been having problems. Maybe he, maybe he had some encouragement. His wise men showed up. They were going to give him the answer, and now all of a sudden they're saying, hey, we can't give you an answer, and he's back to being terrified again. You know, that's the only thing I can think of, you know, hey, the wise men are here, I'm going to get my answer. But it is, and you can picture this anyway, you know, first he sees a handwriting on the wall, then he's got his wise men coming in to get an answer, there's this idea, I'm going to finally get an answer, and they tell him, no, we can't answer you, and he's back to, okay, because this is supernatural, he knows that it's supernatural, he knows that, you know, there's writing on his wall, the hand apparently has disappeared, but there's writing on his wall that his wise men can't read which probably means it was Hebrew rather than Aramaic, but it could have been any language because Daniel's going to be able to read it. And so we see this. He is extremely <coughs> worried at this point. And verse 10, Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spoke to the, and said, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance be changed. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the, in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, your father the king, and I say, your father made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. So we're going to stop here for just a moment. Now uh, let's read. For as much as an excellent spirit of knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams, and showing of hard s sentences, and dissolving of doubts were found in the same... Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. All right, 
So we start out in verse 10, now the queen. We want to look at who are the ones that have been on the platform drinking from this cup. Was the king, his wives, the princes, his concubines. In this particular time frame, the queen was not the wife of the king. All right? The queen was the mother of the king. The queen mother. And this makes sense because when you had multiple wives, you would have had a problem on which one of them was going to be queen. So ra rather than sit there and fight amongst your wives on who should be the queen, you just, they just said, his mother was the queen. <laughs> okay, and you'll note that his mother was not at the banquet. Okay, so... His mother is coming in. I just want to bring this out because most of us don't realize, and this is where the queen mother's title comes in, because in those early days, the, the queen was not the wife of the king. It was his mother. And you'll see this often when you're reading in uh, Kings and Chronicles. They always talked about the queen, and they named his mother <laughs> as, the, as the queen. And we're seeing the same thing here. In my Bible, it says that the queen mother was the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. I won't argue that. Uh, it is possible. I mean, I'm not going to argue it. I didn't. I didn't look into who his daughter, who the queen was. It would have tied in. It would have tied in. If it's true that he was, she was Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, and he's his, his mother, then we've got a, a grandfather, a, a great grandfather relationship there, and that's fine. I, I didn't find anything that told me that, that she was, but I mean, you've got a good study Bible and I'm not going to argue with them. It's just I, I, didn't, I can't prove that from anything I read. But it would then bring us back to he is literally a great-grandfather and, and, and that then fits back to a father could always be grandfather, great-grandfather, all the way back to, you know, like the Jews today, Father Abraham for themselves. So, I mean, I won't argue. I mean, it's very possible. I didn't find anything that said that she was his daughter, but I won't say that it wasn't. <laughs> but it is definitely somebody who knows what has been gone on in the past and his remembering. And if it was Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, that would definitely understand why she under knew Daniel and probably had sat down at many meals with them while Daniel and her dad talked and, and stuff. So, I mean, it would make some sense on that and I have heard that she was somehow related to Nebuchadnezzar and I'm not going to argue that I I didn't find that out when I was looking I was didn't really look at the wives part of that side because I, I was looking at the history and the time frames on the history uh, but she says she came into the banquet house <laughs> okay there you can bringing her attention has to you think about the chaos that's been going on at this point uh, enough for the queen, who's not part of this party, <laughs> to come in to find out what's, you know, to have to go and say, well, what's going on, and hearing about the chaos and the writing on the wall. And that would have been enough for her if, you know, was any kind of memory of the history at all, no matter how she's related or not related. If you knew any of the history of the courts, you go, okay, yeah, you know, there was this guy. <laughs> it was pretty old now, but there was this guy who interpreted all kinds of dreams and, and problems and all of this. And so she comes in and says, uh, you know, quit being such a chicken, basically. <laughs> you know, 
Yeah. Well, you look at it, it's all poetic. Let not your thoughts be troubled or your countenance be changed. You know, quit being a chicken, quit being a coward. You know, there's a guy that can answer this. Um, and there's a man in your kingdom and who has the spirit of the holy gods. And, and in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, the king, your father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. So I say, hey, there's hope. You, know, you thought you had hope before, but now we've got hope for you. And it says, for as much as an excellent or surpassing spirit, the ability to know things and understanding or insight, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences. I, I looked this one up and this was interesting. He was able to declare riddles and puzzles is what, it, what, he, what is she saying here. There's nothing, basically there's nothing he didn't understand and he couldn't, he couldn't see through. Okay, and this is, this is quite a statement for Daniel. I mean, we just saw a couple of events in his life over this time, but basically he's saying that, you know, he was so good that nothing perplexed him and he was able to help Nebuchadnezzar through all the problems and, and things that were going on. And he was able to dissolve doubts and that was all found in Daniel. And then she says, let Daniel be called. And he, look at this confidence, he will show you the interpretation. Not he might be able to, but that he will. And this may be, maybe what your notes on the bottom say, maybe this was Nebuchadnezzar's daughter to have this much confidence in this individual. You know, she would have had some knowledge of him and his abilities and the, the way that she would know uh, because this is more, this statement is more than just somebody who has heard of Daniel. Okay, this is somebody who apparently has some intimate knowledge of Daniel. This is a man that Nebuchadnezzar counted on. This is a man who will show you the answer. And uh, this is more than just, well, you know, there's some, I remember stories about some guy that Nebuchadnezzar really depended on. You know, you might call him and try him. This is somebody who knows his abilities. And so, verse 13, Then was Daniel brought before the king, and the king spoke and said unto Daniel, Are you Daniel, which are of the children of the captive, captivity of Judah, which the king my, fa my father brought out of jewelry? I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that the light of understanding and excellent wisdom is found in you. And now the wise men and the astrologers have been brought in before me, and they should read this writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the saying. And I have heard of thee that you can make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if you can read the writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, you shall be clothed in scarlet and have a chain about your, of gold about your neck, and you shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. All right, so he gets Daniel, reiterates everything that he's been told, and says, are you really this person? Do you have these, do you have these skills? And then reiterates the... If you can do it, I'll, I'll clothe you in purple, I'll put the sing, symbol of authority on you, and I will make you third ruler. How interesting do you think Daniel's in being third ruler? You know, uh, he used to be second ruler before he retired. Why, why would he be interested in taking third ruler at this point in time? You know, it's, you know, with this guy that he doesn't even like, you know, that's been, that's been uh, raising himself up with pride and arrogancy against God. Uh, and obviously, he's not been important enough to be considered before that. So, you know, you can almost picture how Daniel's going to come in. And you've, we've read, if you've read the story, you know how Daniel comes in. But, 
you know, we know Daniel. You know, Daniel's a very humble man, and he's just, he's always giving glory to God. So verse 17, Then Daniel answered and said to the king, Let your gifts be to yourself, and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to the king the interpretation. Here's Daniel saying, I don't want your gifts. You know, you, know, you keep your gifts and give them to somebody else who wants it, but I'm going to read this for you anyway. He goes, even though I don't want your gifts, I'm going to give you this message. And you can almost picture, with, when it was Nebuchadnezzar, remember, he didn't want to give Nebuchadnezzar the bad news that he was going to be judged and, and given the, uh, the mind of an animal over those years. He didn't want to... He didn't want to tell Nebuchadnezzar that your kingdom, you know, you've got a great kingdom, but it's going to, it won't last forever. You almost see here that there's an attitude of, you deserve this and your, and your pride and arrogancy. I'm, I'm looking forward to giving you this interpretation. You almost hear that. At least I almost hear that. You know, I'm looking forward to giving you this, this message. You deserve the, the judgment. Verse 18, O you king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and a majesty and a glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all the people and nations trembled and feared before him, whom, whom he would sl slay and whom he would keep alive and whom he would set up and whom he would, set, would put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed of his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys, and they fed him with the grass like ox. And his body was wet with dew, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. And you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Okay? Daniel comes in and his very first thing is not to interpret the dream uh, and the vision. He says, your father was great or your great-great-grandfather as far as this goes. But Nebuchadnezzar was great. God gave him full authority to do whatever he wanted. He could kill, he could, he could keep alive, he could promote, he could demote. And he goes... And his, but when his heart was lifted up, he was judged. Okay, and this is what he's getting ready to tell Belshazzar. His heart, his his heart has been lifted up. But you know, in Nebuchadnezzar's case, Nebuchadnezzar had already bowed his heart to God. Okay, we saw that when Daniel interpreted the dreams, he raised up Daniel and promoted his God. When the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were delivered from the fiery furnace, he bent his heart to God. It was obvious that he bent his heart to God. In the last chapter, we talked about the warning that he got, and he, and he was good for 12 months before he stumbled and fell. But God knew that he had made a decision for him and said, okay, I'm just going to judge you for seven years and bring you back. And he says, when his heart, Nebuchadnezzar's heart, was lifted up in his mind, Mind hardened with pride, he was deposed of his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And that's that seven years that he was treated, that he thought he was an animal. And it says, he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys, and they fed him grass. And note again, they fed him. And we talked last week about how I believe Daniel kept him in some kind of probably enclosed 
place so everybody didn't see the complete fall of the king. It was obvious the king wasn't there. It was obvious that he you know, didn't have his throne. Daniel would have been the one protecting him as number two in command, saying, he's coming back. You know, he's just got to be there for seven years, six years, five years. Next year sometime, get ready. Let's get ready. The, the king's going to get his mind back next year. And you know, they fed him grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew till he knew that the Most High ruled. Okay? He's reiterating the history of Nebuchadnezzar and the fall that Nebuchadnezzar had because of pride. And then I love this part. And you, O son, uh, and you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Daniel is making that assumption that this guy knows the history. And you can, you can picture, if you had somebody in our founding, founding fathers who acted like an animal for seven years and got his brain you know, thoughts back, we would probably know that story. Okay? And he's telling Belshazzar, you know, hey, that's only 30-some years ago. You know, you know the story of this. This is not something that you weren't taught. And, and, he, and Belshazzar doesn't seem to say, no, I didn't know this story. We don't see any of them denying that he knew this story. So this is something that Daniel says, you knew this. You should not be so proud against the God of heaven. And this is what happens when people start drifting away from God. They will challenge God in many ways. Uh, talking with a man just the other day and telling him that he needed, needed Jesus. He needed to admit that he was a sinner in need of Jesus. And his answer was, I will not humble myself and be submitted to anybody, even God. You know, and that, it was just, and I'm going, even the God, the God who loves you enough to pay for your sins, no. You know, when we reject God, we will do crazy things sometimes, even when we know better. And here is Belshazzar, who, for whatever reason, has drifted away from the God that Nebuchadnezzar promoted, and it could be you know, very critical. It's, and we see his, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son was evil and probably turned away from God, and it probably flowed all the way down. We look at this. It is so critical for us as Christians to make sure the next generation is prepared to follow God. Because it is easy. We see this happening all the time where the next generation, or definitely by the third generation, usually completely falls away. We see that in the book of Judges. The, the judge would fall, and then within a couple generations, the people were back to worshiping idols. And then another judge would come along, and they would then, after a generation or two, they would drift away. We see it in the Kings and Chronicles, how when a king would come along and establish God as the king, his son, or, or at most his grandson, would bring them back into full-fledged idolatry. This is the scary thing for us, is we need to prepare the next generation to follow God. And if we don't do that, then sin it will abound. And we're starting to see that in our world where early generations didn't keep passing God on and we're suffering for it. It's not that he's totally gone. He'll never totally be gone from any generation because he says, I always have a remnant of people. There's always a remnant of people that will keep following God, even during the midst of everything going wrong. 
And this is true even during the period of the judges and the kings. There had to be a remnant so that they would come up and say, when things got really bad, we need to turn back to God. And they would lead the revival back to God. And we need very much to keep passing on the knowledge of God to the next generation. Because the next generation, it is easy to forget. It is easy to have information rewritten. Just like we said, money generation for millennium did not believe that Belshazzar existed because the only reference to him was in the Bible. For many generations, you know, they, they, they did not believe that the children of Israel lived in Egypt or left Egypt. And part of it is because they're looking at the wrong time frame in Egypt. They're looking in Ramsey's time and say nothing fits. But if they look back further, they find a time when everything fits. They find she uh, Shemites living in Egypt. They find a king who, who had mass graves for children. They find a king who lost all power and, was in, and Egypt was invaded. Okay? And if they just go back a little further, they will see it. And the whole reason they won't go back further is because the Bible says they left from Ramses, which means city of the sun. And they go immediately to Pharaoh Ramses instead of going back to a city named City of the Sun. And so we see these things, and, and historians will go, see, there's no, there's no Jews here during Ramses' days. There's no place where, where they lost power. Well, let's just go back to a time when there was. And but this is something that people will do all the time. They will delude themselves and totally ignore anything that gives them a answer that they don't want to hear. And this is why when we look at people talking about creation and evolution, evolutionists will ignore anything that contradicts what they, what they want to believe. And, they will, and we as Christians look and say, well, the, the noatic flood prove, you know, will give you everything that you're basing your life on. The noatic flood gives you. It gives you the stratum of the fossils from prim primary to more advanced being less, lesser. And we see all of this stuff, and we go, there it is. There's the answer. And they go, no, it's not. I got blinders on my eyes. I'm not going to see what you're saying because it doesn't fit what I want to believe. We need to be careful as Christians that we don't do the same thing because if they give us a, a real argument, then we need to look at that argument and say, let's find the answers. And the answers are there. They're always there. We held on to it and knew that Belshazzar existed, and all of a sudden we found the proof. We have found the city of Jericho. We have found different things that show here is the proof of these, these answers. And all we've got to do is say, here we go, God. You're going, to find, you're going to show us the proof. And just be ready to listen. And not forget. Not forget. This is why history is important. Okay. Verse uh, 22. And you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew thee all this. But you have lifted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and you have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine to them, and have praised the gods of silver and gold, brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand your breath is, and whose way all, and whose are all your ways, have not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this was the writing. So we look at this. He says, you were praising gods, and the very God who is the one in control, you didn't praise. 
Again, he's saying, you knew Nebuchadnezzar praised this God. You knew that we praised this God, and you rejected him for, you know, things that do not see, hear, or know. And this is, this is a statement that is prevalent in the scriptures. The idols don't see, hear, or know. And... And uh, I can't remember if it was Isaiah or Jeremiah. He, he talks about how funny these people are. You go out, you cut, a, you cut a tree down. With half of it, you make an idol. And with half of it, you cook your dinner and make the sacrifice to your idol and say, this is, the, this is my God. You know, they, they make fun of all of this. In uh, Psalm, I just read this the other day. Psalm 135, verse 15. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold and wor the work of man's hands. They have mouths and they speak not eyes they have and they see not they have ears but they hear not neither is there any breath in their mouth they that make them are likened to them so is everyone that trusts in them this is something that is brought out in the scriptures frequently we become like what we worship and this is something that we need to keep in mind we worship the God of heaven love, truth mercy, the more we worship God the more we become like him the more we will love people the more we will speak mercy the more we will speak truth those who are worshiping idols become like their idols those who worship at the at the altar of the fertility gods or sex end up becoming more and more sex driven in their life those who are after approbation uh, or power become more and more cruel as they try to get more power we become what we worship. And this is a critical thing because Daniel is saying to him, you know, you forgot the one that's caring, that cares for you. You forgot the one that puts you in power. And you've rejected him. And so we see this. And it says in, the, in this next one, verse 25, And this is the writing that was written, Many, many tekel nufarsin. And this is the interpretation of the thing. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and are found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So we look at this and Daniel just comes in and he reads it for him. And many, many is repeated twice. So he's basically saying, you're numbered. And it's going to be a very short number. Uh, much less than even he's even thinking at this point. And then he goes... Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance. And that's what that word means in, in, in the Hebrew. It means weighed. And Eupharsis or Perez is how he said it. You are, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And remember, what did we say at the beginning of this study? The Medes and Persians are outside his gates. Okay, so this is going to mean something to him is that Daniel is just telling him your kingdom's going to be gone. You're going to lose your kingdom. And we see that, okay, verse 29, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold on his head, and made a proclamation concerning him, that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. So Daniel, he, even though he hears something he doesn't want, he goes ahead and rewards Daniel. Daniel didn't want it. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the, and the, Med, the Median took the kingdom, being about 72 years old. Huh? 62. Yes, three score and two. 62. 
62 years old. Now, the way they took it according to history, they blocked up the Euphrates and went under the, under the river gate and took his, took his city while, while all the, basically all the defenders, heads of the defenders were probably asleep drunk. Uh, so this was quite a bad, this was quite a thing. You know, they did a quite a job to stop the Euphrates from flowing in the first place. They, they dammed it up further up and, and went in through the, through, the, through the gate and took the city. And all while the monarch partied because he was so secure in it. So his, his pride was not just in challenging God. His pride was in the city. And the city was a large, very protected city. They said you could ride three or four chariots around the around the wall. It was not a it was not a small wall that protected the city. So he was pretty sure they they weren't going to dig under it. They weren't going to they weren't going to throw rocks at it and pound it pound it into non-existence. And because they had the river, he had plenty of food, you know, fish and and water. He was not worried at all about being conquered. And that was his downfall. If he had left his his lords and, and generals out in their defensive positions, they might have been able to defend themselves a little bit. But without leadership, an army does not do well. And we see God took his kingdom from him. And we want to we make sure we keep focused on God, that we don't get pride and proud of what God does to us and say, look what I have done. And this is some place that is so easy for us to do as Christians when God does use us. And we see this happening oftentimes with pastors who, who end up building a big church, you know, or God builds a big church, and all of a sudden they start looking around and saying, look, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished. They've got to be able to keep and understand God is the one that built it. Now, yes, he used their skills and, and their abilities, but God is the one that builds the kingdom and we always want to look and this is what I keep saying we're not trying to build a kingdom here in chloride in this church we're trying to build God's kingdom and as we build God's kingdom he'll build this church and that's what's important for us that God builds this church while we start helping him build his kingdom wherever and that's why we do our parade and pass out tracks to people who will probably never come to this church it's why we have the internet where we talk and preach to people who will never come to this church uh, that might be amazing someday. Maybe somebody from overseas will come here just to see how see our church. But you know, but that's not our purpose. You know, our purpose is to build God's kingdom and let people grow. And what God does is up to Him beyond that. And we see pride will always be judged. And we see it over and over. And God says pride comes before the fall. And God will. We saw it in Nebuchadnezzar. He really took Nebuchadnezzar out. He took Belshazzar out because of their pride. We see the pride of Solomon that was developed over the years and how he went the wrong direction because of his pride. And, and, and of course, not just his pride, but his problem with women. You know, gathering up a thousand women as, uh, you know, as, to, as brides and concubines is not a wise idea. And they helped bring him down away from God until he came back to his senses at the end of his life. But we see pride. And then we have one more story that comes up and then we start into the prophetic parts of Daniel. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the lessons on how you will break people and how the extremes that you will go.
the extreme you went with, with Nebuchadnezzar to break his pride and, and you took the kingdom away from Belshazzar. Lord, you just ask that you keep us from being pride. Help us to not have to go to those extremes. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.